Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at HoosiersOutRunCancer.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, your host, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. City officials announced Monday the Bloomington Community Farmers Market would be suspended for two weeks. The announcement comes after protests and an arrest Saturday at the market over vendors with alleged ties to a white supremacist group. City has cited concerns for public safety as a reason for the suspension. Mayor John Hamilton had a news conference about this earlier this week, which we played on Facebook Live. He talked about outside influences uh, that were uh, contributing to this issue, and he also talked about how the city has uh, has to be really careful to make sure and uphold the Constitution so they can't just throw this group out of the city-run market. So we're going to talk about those issues and more today on Noon Edition. And we have four guests here to uh, represent different points of view. Jim Sims is a member of the Bloomington City Council. He's an at-large member. Elizabeth Mitchell is a Bloomington historian. Steve Sanders, associate professor at the Indiana University Maurer School of Law. And Marsha Veldman, who's the Farmer's Market Coordinator for the City of Bloomington. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can join us by calling us at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Marsha, we've done shows with you here before, but nothing quite like this one. I mean, it's been quite a year for the the farmer's market. Can you sort of encapsulate the issue for us and and then talk about, you know, the rules of the market that um, that people are trying to follow? All right. Well, you know, to start with, the market has been a city-sponsored event since 1975 and so has a long and storied history in this community. And um, when it started, it was with 23 farmers in Third Street Park and obviously has grown and diversified since that point in time. And um, as, at it, as it has done that, the, there's been more and more structure added to the market to, um, to help it serve its function, its mission, which is to serve um, small farmers and customers as a gathering place and as a community venue. And some of those structures that are in place are things like we have a contract and a farm vendor handbook that specify, you know, who can sell and what can be sold. And for a market of this size, it's pretty unusual in that it has been open to new farmers each and every year for its entire existence. We keep making that work. Um, So, and then we have um, prepared food vendors, and they are under a different set of structure that um, they apply for those positions, and we have criteria for selecting them. We have the monthly art and craft fair. We have Information Alley that's been a part of the market for a very long time, where organizations, individuals can share information. We have busking policy because we found, you know, we used to just allow people to set up and perform in the market wherever they so chose. But as the market grew and um, the the spaces of the market became more crowded, we worked with people to set up a policy to add that level of structure. So once again, you know, all of this is in place just to allow the market to fulfill its mission. And then when, when so... 
The big uh, question about you know what's happening now is you know last weekend there was an arrest at the market because a protester there there is the ability to protest at the market and to give leaflets at the market but you have some pretty strict rules about that too right yeah there are rules established um, to allow for people to have those conversations to share their ideas to debate. And, you know, that's where Info Alley is set up for. And also, you know, once you go outside the boundaries of the market, onto the sidewalks, up the beeline to the north and to the south of the market space, and also on Plaza 1A, there are opportunities for that. Mm-hmm. So this arrest was made in, in, in the market in front of the vendor who was being protested. What? This is this issue affects a lot of different people. There are a lot of different angles to it. We're going to try to cover as many as we can today. One of the people that we have a, uh, a soundbite from is one of the farmers, mm-hmm. uh, Whitney Schlegel from Marble Hill Farm, uh, sold at the market with her husband for 20 years, and we want to play that now. So I think that the it's a we want the community to know that we value their support, but we also want them to be aware that this is a, a this is an additional hardship on on our on our farmers. Mostly, I think one thing I'd really like to share with everyone is that farmers are taking time away from their fields and away from the work in preparing for market to try and find alternative markets, and that's very time-consuming. So she was talking about the fact that with no markets for this these, this two-week period, their farmers are trying to gather in different places, and I think they've had some success in finding some places. So, you know, there's the impact on the farmers, but there there's this, uh, you know, this larger issue of you know, white supremacy, uh, the this group and their ties to a white supremacist group. The mayor, in his comments the other day, talked about a lot of different things. One of the things he talked about was how you know Bloomington needs to recognize it as progressive and liberal as it, as it thinks it is. There are, um, you know, there is a history here, and I want to ask Elizabeth Mitchell to talk a little bit about the fact that that there is racism around. Well, absolutely, there's racism here, and you you can't be fooled by thinking that uh, most comments I I hear is, well, we're progressive, we're liberal because of IU, and we're not. IU has its own issues and broad problems. And, of course, Bloomington, the history is uh, basically Bloomington is 50-50 or was 50-50. What it is now, I don't know. But in the past, especially before the Civil War, you had the Underground Railroad through here, a lot of Underground Railroad activity. But people failed to mention it was not only the Caucasian uh, people who helped the runaway slaves, but African Americans helped other African Americans come through here. So there are stories of both races doing this. And anything good that has happened in any community is because the races have come together to make that happen all across the nation. Um, African Americans uh, has had the help of white Americans to help us achieve the goals that we have. We've got a long way to go still, but look where we've come from. Even Bloomington, from the days where it violated the civil rights of African Americans here, where they couldn't buy homes, couldn't get good jobs, separate education for elementary school. Uh, These things definitely happen here in Bloomington, and it mirrored the rest of the country. So we have to be proud that we've made uh, strides, that we've done better. And can we do better? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I know um, Liz Mitchell is, a, is, a, is an author, an educator, a, an act, actor. She's done a lot of a lot of different things, and I know that you've taken some time. And I want to talk to you about it in a minute. Okay, taking some time to to learn more about this issue. You were talking about yes, going I to the felt the need athlete. to do that. Right. Yes, but uh, I want to bring Jim Sims in as a member of the city council. So I know you. Last time we talked, you were on the pro- program a few weeks ago about. Uh, racism uh, yes. as a as an overarching issue, and I know at that point I think you were kind of in favor of taking this group out of the market. 
Um, I think we can be more definitive. Uh-huh. I wasn't kind of in favor. <laughs> I'm definitely in favor. Yeah. Um, and, and first of all, I do appreciate um, the input that Liz just gave. I think it's hard to know where you're going until you know where you've been. Absolutely. Um, and realize some of the prog- um, progresses. But I want to be clear. This issue that we're talking about today is not a blue versus red issue. It's not liberal versus conservative. This is right versus wrong from the viewpoint of civil rights in America. It's simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we talk about the, the market and the vendor and the protesters and Antifa and the third percenters and all of this. This is a much broader issue, much larger issue. Um, and one thing I will emphasize, and, and Liz and I um, attend the same house of worship, for minimally of six weeks and probably longer, one of the things that's been at the forefront of our trustee board, which is over the facilities, is the issue of safety. And, and I will say this, that white supremacist groups, when the violence comes, Doubtfully, will it be any of the white patrons that will be affected? You know, there, there could be. But the real damage is going to come at one of the historical black churches on South Rogers, at one of the Muslim mosques, one of the synagogues. Those are the targets of white supremacists and white nationalists and, and neo-Nazis. And I want to be clear on that. It's, it's not the fact that it's Schooner Creek Farm there, that that... that is important, but what's the overarching effect, and particularly to those of us that have been persecuted and harmed and murdered and, you know, disenfranchised over the history of, of, of America, mm-hmm. frankly. So I want to ask Steve Sanders, uh, as a, a law professor, uh, to talk about the fact, you know, Jim painted as a fairly simple right versus wrong. Mm-hmm. Is it a simple matter? Or? Well, in, in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. I think it depends on, on the parameters. So if I refuse to sell my house to Jim because of his race, he can bring a complaint again against me. If Jim threatens violence against me or vandalizes my property, I can bring a complaint against him. The law can always punish wrongful acts. But as Mayor Hamilton said very eloquently, the machinery of government cannot be used to punish someone because of the thoughts that are in their head or the opinions that they have expressed in writing or the people they choose to associate with. And this is not a gray area. It's, a, it's something you might use with a high school student to explain to them what does the First Amendment mean when it says you're entitled to free speech and free expression and free association. I think it's useful to remember this doctrine was forged in cases in the 1950s when states like Alabama tried to harass the NAACP out of existence and get its membership records and criminalize its activities. It was forged in cases where the postmaster tried to uh, uh, refuse to send pro-gay literature through the mails in the 1950s. Um, It may be cathartic to say, you know, we need to kick this person out. But the law as it is right now makes that a completely reckless choice for the following reasons. There would, to a, to a, 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 a moral certainty, the city would lose that case. It would be subject to an injunction to restore the vendor. It might be subject to damages. And federal civil rights law means if you win a civil rights case, like a First Amendment case, um, the government has to pay your attorney's fees. So do we really want to be in the situation of having to pay this vendor damages and maybe, you know, five or six figures worth of attorney's fees out of the city coffers? Um, so I think those are the issues we need to talk about. Uh, there are other countries like Germany and some Eastern European countries that have criminalized being a Nazi and criminalized certain political views. That's not the Constitution we have, and it's not the way the Supreme Court has interpreted the First Amendment. I want to give our phone numbers again. We're at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And I've neglected to mention until right now that we're on Facebook Live today. So if you want to, to tune in, you can watch a little bit about what's going on here in our studio. We have a couple of phone calls. Um, the first one comes from Jonah. Jonah, go ahead. Hi. Hi, Jenna. 
Um, so my question is kind of dealing with the fact that the mayor and the media isn't really addressing the role that some of the violent uh, leftist groups, extremist groups like Antifa and Harm, which is Hoosiers Against Racism, have played in not only organizing the protests, but also in vandalism on the Beeline Square, or sorry, Beeline Trail, and, uh, and some of the potential violence that they kind of indicated when they came to the market and protested in full masks. And, uh, and there was even a protester at the market that morning who was convicted of a violent felony in Chicago. He was part of the Tinley Park Five who violently attacked white supremacists inside a restaurant uh, wearing masks, carrying clubs. And uh, I'm just wondering why the media and the mayor are not giving them the attention they deserve for this matter. Okay, let, let me uh, sort of paraphrase that a little bit. So, uh, so I think that there has been – so in the um, – in the escalation of this, I mean, there were protesters at the at the booth, and then Antifa uh, that uh, Jonah talks about. So, a group of people that were dressed in black with masks um, stood outside. Said they were stood outside the the said they were they were going to protect the protesters. They had heard that that people were going to come and harm the protesters, and that's. Uh, the, the person from the Tinley Park Five. I remember that case from 2012. That was a that was a certainly a, a very violent case. Um, and then then came the three percenters who were the the Jim referenced, and that added to the um, sort of the fear at the market. So I guess I'm going to ask Marcia. I mean, you've witnessed all these people being at the market. I mean, is, was this just kind of an escalation of people and yeah, I can't really answer the fact. I think the fact is that the media has covered it, but maybe not to the extreme that you're that you you would like to see, or not not to the the amount that you would like to see, Jonah. So, you know what I can say? Yeah, that the situation was escalating. Um, what we can do is manage the market under the structures that are available, and. Um, someone looking intimidating isn't something that you can arrest someone for. What we can do is if they're blocking a stand, ask them to move. And um, so, and that was the case with um, the group that showed up in Black Mess when they were asked to move. They did move. And so that's how we can manage the market. Steve, maybe you can weigh in on that because I know that we've heard a lot about that in our newsroom because the protester was arrested who Mm -hmm. was there holding her sign. But then we've heard there were other folks there with guns who were not arrested. The Antifa folks mm-hmm. were not well, arrested. I, I, What's the difference? I, I, I mean, I think as Marcia said, the, the, the difference is, is whether you are actively um, you're committing a wrongful act. You're blocking access. You're preventing people from getting where they want to go. I, I mean, if you actually make an, a threat, something that arises to a fear that the person is going to be assaulted, that you can be arrested for that if you if – you, uh, you know, use threatening words to someone in a way that realistically makes them think they're going to use violence. So there's some subtleties here. But I, you know, the other thing, I, something I'd like to add, though, in this discussion, you know, so far as I know, none of these organizations, white supremacists, Antifa, have, you know, membership cards with strictly controlled criteria about who gets to join. I mean, a bunch of people can dress in black and wear masks and look silly and call themselves Antifa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does does posting some things that betray ignorance on a website that's used by white supremacists automatically make you a card-carrying Nazi. I mean, I think one thing that's important to remember in a lot of this is these are people who, you know, have one view or the other, sympathize with one view or the other, but I think we're talking about them in these sort of simplistic, monolithic terms. Let's go back to the phones. We have uh, Louise on the line. Louise? Hey, yeah, good morning. Uh, I'm with the uh, market, and I'm a prepared food vendor. And I uh, just wanted to let the community know that we have a market all ready to go for tomorrow. It will be, it's being hosted by Blooming Foods. It's going to be at the Blooming Foods East slash Kmart parking lot from 8 till 1. And um, we're pretty excited about it. We've got 50-plus farm vendors. We've got prepared food vendors, food trucks, and we have music live music. So we're, we're pretty excited about this and just looking for people to come out and, and show their support of the market. It's going to be a beautiful day. 
it's a way to celebrate with friends the the market and all that it that, that goes with it. So I just wanted people to know about that. Now, Louise, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway because somebody asked me, just moving the market to another location, why will that um, not just move the issues to another location? Well, for one reason, um, Blooming Foods uh, East, in this case, is hosting it. And so it's a, it's a uh, considered a private affair, mm-hmm. and um, so that makes a difference. Okay, so it's a private affair, so they can invite or allow in whoever they want to. Steve? That's right. That's right. And we, and we really hope that we see a nice crowd of customers and, 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 and people will come and check, it, check us out. It, that, that's true to a point. I mean, I mean, so political. So, so when it comes to private organizations or stores or businesses or people who discriminate, political viewpoint is not protected. Now, Blooming Foods still couldn't refuse to provide space to someone on the basis of their race, their religion, their sexual orientation, other things that are protected by law. But if they want to exclude somebody who has a particular political viewpoint. Um, yeah, a, a private business is allowed to do that. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Louise. We appreciate okay, thank it. Thank you so much for this program. All right. We're going to we're gonna take a short break. We're already halfway through the program, almost halfway through the program. So we're going to take our break now. When we come back, we've got lots of other issues we want to explore. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Sarah Whitmire, and we have four guests with us today. Uh, We have Marsha Veldman, who's uh, the... Director of the Bloomington Farmers Market, uh, coordinator, and we have Steve Sanders, associate professor at the Indiana University Mauer School of Law. Jim Sims is a member of the Bloomington City Council, and Elizabeth Mitchell is a Bloomington historian who's joined us today. And Liz, I wanted to, to ask you first to uh, talk about your, you know, your research that you did last week when you went to the market. Well, when uh, I was asked to be a part of this program, I felt a responsibility to go and talk to them one-on-one if they would do so. I didn't want to go on uh, someone else's assessment. I wanted to make my own. So my husband drove me down there. He had concerns. Um, I was not afraid and not intimidated uh, by the situation, uh, nor am I intimidated by anybody. So I walked directly up to her. Uh, This is uh, uh, Sarah and her husband. And I told them who I was and about the show and that I wanted to um, make my own judgment of what was going on and would she talk to me. She was very pleasant. Maybe it's because I'm an old lady, but um, she was very pleasant and uh, kind of got emotional, kind of teary-eyed that I would take the time out to come up and speak to her. I just had a few questions because, as I mentioned before the show started, she was not lacking customers, whether there were people that were supporting her or people that said, hey, I I don't believe in your uh, beliefs, but uh, I believe you have the right to believe. So she did have a lot of customers, so I didn't really get that one-on-one that I wanted. But this is what I got out of the conversation with her. Um, She told me, first of all, she's a Trump supporter and that she believed the borders ought to be closed. And I said, then you must be okay with the fact that people's children are being taken away from them. She responded with that by saying she was threatened to have her child removed. 
She also thought that people should have access to quality food and that since this is America, you do have the right to have your own beliefs. Um, my goal was, like I said, just to my own assessment uh, of what she was like. Um, we were respectful to one another. What was interesting to me, excuse me, is when I left her booth, the people running up to me, I was unaware of so many people watching. And even a city councilman and other booth vendors came up to me and go, you talk to her? You, what was she like? And this kind of thing. And I, I was surprised by that because I wasn't paying attention to people watching me talk to her. Um, I, I did not feel intimidated by the people. I knew that there were people standing around that looked scary. And I understand how people would feel intimidated by their presence. So, Sarah, if you're listening, I don't know if you've invited them or they just came on their own, but that wasn't a good move to have those guys standing around. Mm -hmm. I will say we did invite Sarah to participate in today's show or even leave a comment that we could play, and we didn't hear anything back. And we have uh, reached out to her many times. We've gone to her farm um, and talked to her in person, but... um, haven't heard anything back from her. Well, one, we, one of the other people that we did talk to before this program today was Abby Ang, who's a community organizer with No Space for Hate, and she's been uh, an active uh, person at the market trying to um, get this issue on everybody's radar. So I want to play this clip now. I think I'm representing or at least trying to not speaking for, but helping to represent a lot of voices in the community that feel marginalized. And so that includes, like, like members, a lot of members in our who are, you know, group have, who have been speaking out against white supremacy are members of the Jewish community, the people of, people of color, people with disabilities, and so on. And so we've been trying to get um, the community to recognize that white supremacy is a problem here in Indiana, that even though Bloomington prides itself on being a progressive and liberal area in Indiana, there are things that we could be doing better, and there are stands we could be taking to show that white supremacy is not welcome. All right, that was a comment from uh, Abby Ang, who's a community organizer with No Space for Hate. If you want to join us on the program, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at one 877 Two eight five nine three four eight. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Jim, I'm just curious. What do you think the city's role in this should be? How do you think the city should be? Well, the, the first thing I do want to say is uh, my earlier comment on right versus wrong, I, that was not my intent to oversimplify it and boil it down to just those points. Um, in essence, uh, there, there's been talk about different factions. Um, this is again, right and wrong, but it's anything but simple. So I just want to be clear on that. Um, I I wear a couple different hats. Um, I'm also past president of the Monroe County NAACP. I'm a member of many community social equity and racial and social justice groups, um, such as the UU Church Racial Justice Task Force. Um, Bloomington Surge, we work together. Um, Bloomington United. Um, and, and our thought is to eliminate racial discrimination and take care of white supremacists and these type of views that negatively affect black, minority, and, and other marginalized groups in this community. Now, to answer your question, um, sometimes that's difficult for me because Jim the person, I would advocate some other things. Jim the city council person, everything that you've heard is exactly right. There are constitutional laws being that it's government ran that we simply cannot do. I mean, we we just can't. Um, Not without. Now, if that group was actually recruiting and, and, and passing out literature and making threats and coercing other folks to do things, that's a different ballgame. But because of their views and they want to just sell veggies, the government cannot and will not Um, remove them. And as a city council, I advocate that we don't put the city in liabilities way 
and the risk. That is going to be very, very costly, and I don't think it's it's uh, uh, an argument we could win. I just mm-hmm. don't think so. I, I so, might suggest there, there's also, you know, it's hard to equate these things, but, you know, I would I have to imagine there are lots of very conservative communities in Indiana that might have farmer's markets or public gatherings, and if they found out that someone who was a vocal socialist or a vocal supporter of transgender rights was part of their program, they'd, you know, we got to kick that person out. That's not right. So, you know, the, the, you know, now we can say, you know, being a socialist is not the same thing morally as advocating white supremacy. And I would certainly agree with that. But the point here is that government is supposed to be neutral as to people's viewpoints and beliefs and, and, and conscience. Mm-hmm. I have I have a question. Uh, in my conversation with her, she neither uh, denied or admitted to anything. You've, Bob, you've said a uh-huh. couple of times alleged. Uh-huh. So, is she or is she not? Is it alleged, and we're doing all of this, or someone knows for sure, or or what? I I can only tell you from the research that I've done, and this is secondhand. I've read a lot of things that she's she identifies herself as um, I can't remember what the term is, but an identitarian, an, an identitarian, which I believe in, in the group that she has been linked to, um, Identity Europa, is considered by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group, okay. and she's been linked to them. Um, and that was the group that Nolan Brewer was a part of, and he was the man who was found guilty, guilty of spray painting. Yeah, they, the they had the, the, the Sarah Dye and her husband had dinner together with Nolan Brewer at one point, although I'm, I'm looking at a report from No Space for Hate. They also underscore that uh, uh, neither Dye nor her husband were involved or knew about the attack there. But and, and she has evidently posted on websites or servers that are known to be uh, used by white supremacists. I, I think it's, uh, you know, I would say it's fair to to say that she's been linked to these groups. Okay. You know, whatever, she's a card-carrying member, she's active in the groups. I don't think anybody really, well, I, I can't say that. I, I wouldn't want to say that differently. I just can't yeah. say that. Yeah. yeah, that was my concern, yeah. is, is is there undeniable proof or like you said, I think, there, I think there's there's there are links. I think there are, there are definitely you can connect dots from her and to these groups that have a history of white separatism, white nationalism, white supremacy, whatever the term is. But, but once again, what does it mean to be linked to somebody? So there are people who have published uh, Sarah Dye's telephone number and email address. There are people who vandalized the Johnson Creamery building. Now, I could say the people who did that are linked to the same people who want to see the vendor removed from the market, but I think that would be irresponsible. That's sort of McCarthyistic to engage in that kind of guilt by association. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I well... Well, uh, that's why we use alleged. Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. And, well, in, in that vein, and, and when we're looking at, at private or, or, or not-for-profit ran markets versus city ran markets. Um, and I think many of us know that, that Schooner Creek Farms in Saradai was part of the Brown County Farmers Market, which is private. And once all of this came to light, them as a group expelled them from that farmers market based on, as we're talking now, ties, as, as, you know, allegations. It, it, there's more to it than that. I don't buy the propaganda. And it's not so much about Schooner Creek Farms and their beliefs as it is about us having to lock our church for morning services on, on Sunday morning for fear that this church could be a part of this, you see, and, and other groups in this community. So, so that's the vein in which we're talking here. Um, I, I personally would have called for a boycott of not only them, but the entire farmer's market. But Jim, as the person, and Jim, the city representative, could not do that because of the financial harm that we would have caused all the other vendors. And that's personally kind of what we uh, wanted to avoid. I personally didn't think the mayor, and I'm not privy to uh, the reports or, or the, what they've gotten as far as um, threats, but I don't think he had a choice but to do what he did. Many of us don't like it. Many of us may not support it. I don't think, I think we had a duty to do what he did in order to, to provide as best we can for the safety of all patrons there. 
Maybe, Marsha, you, you can talk a little bit about what will the market look like when it reopens. Can you elaborate any more on, on what it might be and how we can make sure that it's a safe place to bring our families? Yeah, I can. I guess I'd first just like to say it's, like, absolutely heartbreaking to hear how it's impacting some of our local churches. And I also appreciate you commenting on not wanting to negatively impact all of the farmers because, really, they are innocent in this. And um, and it has been a really, really difficult situation for them. So, um, you know, hopeful. It was great to hear Louise talk about that park, um, the market going on at Blooming Foods East. And uh, hopefully the community comes out like we saw it come out at the Tuesday market. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, steps are being taken during this pause, during the suspension of the uh, Saturday market to work towards greater public safety, working with various organizations and individuals in this town to have those conversations that will help to um, address the situation. We're reviewing security measures at the market to um, see what we might be able to do differently to enhance security while maintaining still that the feel of the market. We certainly want it to um, continue to serve this community in a way that's really positive. Um, you know, we're exploring installing security cameras, um, working with law enforcement, and that goes beyond Bloomington. Um, they are working with national organizations that have knowledge about how to deal with these situations. Um, we're looking at, you know, programs to engage people at market, have more programming. Um, so there's a lot of steps that are being taken to um, ensure that, you know, when we come back together on August 17th, the community will want to be there. Steve, I do, I do just want to ask you if there's any sort of precedent something like this in a situation with the city and how they might have handled it. We had heard about something similar, I think, in Chicago or... I I guess I'd need to know a little bit more specifically what you're saying. As I said, the idea that the city just can't kick somebody out because of their political affiliations is, like, so well-established it would be hard to find a recent case. Those cases go back, as I said, to to the 1950s. Um, the, the city is certainly entitled to, to take the security precautions that, and, and, and probably uh, is wise to take the kind of security precautions that Marsh has talked about. But, it, but I'm not sure what precedent yeah. you might be well, thinking about. Or. Yeah, I think – I mean one, what Sarah's referring to, that I know I read a story recently. And I can't tell, I think it might have been the Daily Beast or something. I mean some, some website that talked about how farmers markets – Bloomington is not the first farmers market that's had issues like this. Mm-hmm. So that, that uh, Marsha, maybe you can – Talk about other places that have. Seen. I have now heard of a. I hadn't previously, but now I have heard of other farmers markets having similar challenges. Um, I know the Iowa City market um, has a white supremacist vendor, and that person is very openly outspoken about mm-hmm. his beliefs. And when I read the article mm-hmm. in whatever their paper is, um, it sounded so similar, you know, where it's a city-run market, the city's saying they have their First Amendment rights, the protesters are saying this is hate speech, not free speech, the, you know, a lot of parallels there. There was a case, and it's an ongoing one in East Lansing, and I can, like, give a brief overview, I, you know, don't know the details, but um, where the um, a vendor was expelled from the market because they wouldn't allow for gay marriage on their farm. And um, the courts reinstated them into the market. It's still working its way through the system, but because it was so abundantly clear to the courts that they had the right to be there, they were reinstated in the market even before it's worked its way through the courts. Mm -hmm, Jim? Well, I think it's it's good to hear what Marcia said, some of the... the, um, actions that are being taken to as we open the market and those are good however those will have absolutely nothing to do 
with some of the reasons that escalated to where we are in the first place. Um, we cannot ban guns at this point, and particularly if they're permitted. Um, they're, those are state laws and constitutional rights. Do I feel comfortable with people with guns, even if they've got a permit? Of course not. See, so these are, are even bigger than that, and the city is going to have some limitations to what they can do. Now, me as a black person and other marginalized groups and black and brown folks, and, and I'll just say this. To me, when Antifa goes into the market under the guise of protecting the protesters, um, or that's their mission, but they've got black masks that are covering the face and, and these sorts of things. Um, they're asked to leave. They, they leave. So there's no incident there. As a black person... If I don't know what Antifa or who this is and what they're doing, there is absolutely no difference between that, a white hood, these guys over here with ball caps that say 3% are on the back with guns hanging out their pockets. There's absolutely no, no difference from a feeling of comfort and, and safety. So, and I think that's what's important here. And Mayor Hamilton has been very uh, vociferous about the gun issue. I'm, I'm not certain that it's established that constitutionally the city couldn't prevent guns from the farmer's market. There are lots of Second Amendment issues that are still yes. being working their way through the courts. This is a situation where the state, through its just statutory law, has affirmatively prevented cities from saying there are certain zones where you can't have guns. That could be changed, I think, by our elected representatives. And Mayor Hamilton's been very outspoken on that issue. Yes. And, and just to add to that, going through since my thing is history, uh, Bloomington at one time had several men who were slave catchers here who made a lot of money. One of the brothers lived on the square. Eventually, uh, those people were, uh, were not welcome. Uh, the, the right side, the silent people, or the people, you would say, Jim, for the right, they prevailed. And those people had to leave the area because what they did is they began to collect people who were free and to turn them in for money, run them down to Kentucky. So I'm confident that somehow Bloomington is going to find a way. We're going to find a way to correct this situation. Mm-hmm. All right. We have three phone calls lined up, so we're going to go to Vox first. Vox? Hey, guys. I thank you all for being here today. To me, I think it's not the first time our nation has faced these issues. Uh, we saw a lot of intimidation in the 1950s uh, around blacks and public accommodation. I don't see how these issues are any different today. You can't reasonably expect to uh, espouse violent rhetoric or say you want to exterminate entire populations. And then me, as a, as a reasonable person, think that I can go to your stand and you're going to serve me equally or if you're making some type of food dish that it might not cause me harm in some way. So I guess my overarching question is how is this not an issue of public accommodation, which numerous times the, the Supreme Court has held that public accommodation can trump issues of free speech. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, absolutely true. That the, the, the point is that Sarah Dye has never done any of the things that Vox suggests. I mean, if she refused to, to sell to a person because of their race or their sexual orientation, obviously if she threatened a person at the market, those would be actionable. What we're doing here is creating a sort of guilt by association, and because she has been, quote-unquote, linked to, to some people who might do those things or have done those things, she has to be punished. That's the kind of thing the Constitution says, no, there are limits on what the government can do. Yeah, you know, if she engages in those kinds of wrongful acts, of course she can be dealt with by the law. And that's why, I mean, individuals are free to punish her however they want. I mean, not however they want, but they can boycott the stand or they make their own decisions. IU, we got a Twitter comment about that, and they said many people have called for the removal, but most anti-racists have understood that state action isn't an adequate solution, and instead they've called for a popular mobilization and boycott against Schooner Well, when I walked right up to the market, this is the first thing I was handed was to boycott the Schooner Creek Farms. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm sure that there were some people that did actively do that. But at the time that I was talking to Sarah... She was busy. She had plenty of customers. Mm-hmm. All right. I think we are going to move next to our next uh, questioner. John, go ahead. Yes. Uh, I think most of us probably feel uh, for the farmers as 
fellow human beings in terms of the financial um, harm they may be facing. I think it's useful, though, to understand them in additional roles than innocent victim. They are legatees, as we are, of a racist history, and uh, that is very uh, easily documented in the cases, in the case of a lot of the places that the farmers come from. Let's just say, for example, Odin uh, was a sundown town mm-hmm. in the memory of people who are still alive today. Yes. Uh, there are all sorts of counties that the farmers come from that were documentably sundown counties where entire counties were off limits to black people after sundown. And there are all sorts of uh, places that the fenders come from, let's say Owen County, where the police have not complied with Indiana's bias crime reporting law uh, during the last nearly 20 years that this law has been in effect. What I'm suggesting is that in addition to wringing hands, or wringing our hands and sort of running around in circles not knowing what to do, this could be a teachable moment for the city which could give to vendors information about, uh, for example, the non-compliance of their police with the bias crime reporting law, the history of racism in the places they come from. This could be a teachable moment. It would require um, collaboration, of course, with historians. It would require a lot more collaboration from media, including WFIU and the Hoosier Times, which have not which have refused to um, investigate the problem of police noncompliance with the bias crime reporting law. But this could be done. It would be a small, positive step, but it would be where that's what we're limited to right now are, it seems like, small, positive steps. All right, John, thanks. Jim? Well, I was uh, kind of shocked when... and. and, and First of all, thanks, everyone, for calling or Twitter or whatever. So, and I thought um, Vox and John had let us down by not calling. So, I was a little hoping <laughs> when they called in. And, but I think those are perspectives that are broader than the farmer's market issue that I alluded to earlier in the program. They are much, much broader. Um, and, and I think those are the type of things that we need to focus on. Um, there is no easy solution for the market, what, what we're talking from a city government standpoint. It's not easy. But like I said, most of my thinking is broader than that. Where does it stretch past the market that is going to affect folks like me? Um, we understand that, yeah, there's some folks that have never felt comfortable at the market and these sorts of things. I've never really felt discomfort. But as we get further into these conversations, I start to think about, you know, Jim, you know, you sit on city council. Your identity is on the website, your address, your phone number. You know, we've campaigned. There's pictures of my family all over the place. You see, and until you have those lived experiences, I think, and, and I think that's the thing with the Odin folks and these other things, and they've got some understanding, but they don't have the lived experiences of our grandparents, uh, you know, of getting, of, us. Uh, of getting hit on the head with an axe from trying or axe handle trying to vote. These are all part and parcel of the way we think, the way we've been socialized, and the way we try to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks to Vox and John and, and, and other folks that have commented, because that points to a much bigger issue than just Schooner Creek Farm. Mm-hmm. All right, we have one more phone call we want to get to. Spencer, go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call, guys. Sure. Um, I'm not actually from Indiana or Bloomington area at all, so I don't really have the uh, area knowledge as much. I came down here for school. so. Um, but the way I understand the situation, um, it sounded like the vendor was outed through hacking. Um, some kind of online forum, they, she was talking to the identitarians or something. And... Um, wouldn't that be an invasion of privacy? Surely, like, whatever opinions we hold, as long as we don't intimidate or 
we now um, use violence on other people. We shouldn't be going through each other's um, personal information and um, essentially running someone out of town or running someone out of their business and certainly hurting the business of other people um, in the market here um, by um, uh, doing this type of um, uh, action, or if you will. So I would just like to know, especially since um, the person who was arrest, uh, arrested here was a IU faculty member, um, it certainly seems not to uh, portray the, um, the vendor as the, the sole victim here, but it certainly seems that um, it didn't really help anyone, um, uh, this situation at all. So I would just like to see... Um, how you guys felt about that situation? Okay, we're gonna get we got time for like one quick answer. Who wants to go? My sense Steve. is that my sense is it's true that um, uh, uh, nothing that that uh, Sarah Dye was doing at the market would have led you to under, know anything about her political beliefs. That it was sort of investigative reporting or sleuthing or whatever you want to call it. Uh, again, reading the report from No Space for Hate, it seems to have been based on a combination of actual court testimony that Nolan Brewer, another one of, member of these organizations, gave. That, of course, would be public. And, and it does appear that people found uh, where she had been posting on web servers or websites, but I don't think we know any of the details of whether there was a quote-unquote hack or whether somebody just joined it and saw her on there or disguised their identity and then found her on there. I, I don't think we know that. All right. Thanks. We are out of time. I want to oh, thank wow. our guests, Jim <laughs> Sims, Elizabeth Mitchell, Steve Sanders, and Marsha Velvet. For co-host Sarah Whitmire, producer Benta Boutier, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and also thanks to Emma Atkinson today for our, our Facebook Live feed. This has been Noon Edition. Thank you. I will say this. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And the Bloomington Health Foundation, this September hosting the 20th running of Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, a 5K run-slash-walk supporting those in the community facing a cancer diagnosis. Registration and more at hoosiersoutruncancer.org.